Amen. You may be seated, and I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, and as you make your way there, I again want to wish you a happy Easter, happy Resurrection Sunday. I want you, as you make your way to Acts 13, I want you to imagine that you've taken a bed sheet and you've got a couple friends and you guys have stretched it out as tight as you can. It's perfectly flat. It's so tight. One of uh, a child could use it as a trampoline. Now, I want you to imagine that you're standing there and somebody walks by and they throw a paperclip onto your sheet. Now, as you see that paperclip fly through the air, are any of you going to panic? No, probably not. Not much is going to happen. Now, I want you to imagine that you're still holding that sheet as tight as you can. You're pulling. You're tugging. It's about to rip. And now I want you to imagine that somebody throws a 16-pound bowling ball right in the middle. What do you think will happen? Well, it could rip. It'll at least give a little bit, right? I think we would all understand the difference between a paperclip and a bowling ball. And I used that illustration this morning to get us to think about how do we view the impact of the resurrection. When we think about what the resurrection is, this is not a paperclip thrown into the world. This is a 16-pound bowling ball. In fact, it's probably more like a cannonball into the world. The resurrection is at the center of Everything, and that's not an exaggeration. The entire cosmos, the entire created order, all centers around this one event. So if you take that bowling ball and you place it in the middle and the sheet starts to bend down towards it, that's what the resurrection is. It bends all of space and time towards itself. And so our focus this morning is going to be understanding the impact of the resurrection and delighting in what God has done for us in raising Jesus Christ from the dead. So this morning, I want us to look at what Paul says in Acts chapter 13, and I want us to press home on the importance of the resurrection for his audience, but ultimately for our audience as well, for us. Now, we're going to be looking, really starting in verse 26, but to kind of give you some context, in verses 16 through 25, Paul is laying a foundation and recounting a history of Israel because Jesus is the fulfillment of all biblical history. Everything was pointing forward to him. It was all anticipating him, not all in the same way, but all of it was sloped like that bowling ball. All of Scripture was sloped downward towards the weight of who Christ is and what He would do. So in verses 16 through 25, Paul's laying this foundation of the fulfillment of the promises that God made. Now, look at verse 23. If you're there in Acts chapter 13, verse 23, if you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. Paul says, Of this man's offspring, that is David, God has brought to Israel a Savior. Jesus, look at this, as he promised. 
So in the context, Paul is talking about God is keeping all his promises. And he kept his promise by bringing Jesus. So then we get to our passage today, starting in verse 36. And I want us to look at what that means for us. I want us to look at four resurrection truths from this passage. I want to give you four resurrection truths based on Acts 13, 26 through 39. The first resurrection truth I want you to have this morning is this. The message of salvation has come. The message of salvation has come. We see this in verse 26 through 29. Paul continues, and look at what he says in verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation. So notice Paul ties the coming of Christ with the coming of the message of salvation. Why? Isn't it obvious? Because there is no salvation and no message of salvation apart from Christ. He says it is a message of salvation. It's an announcement. It's a proclamation and what must proclamations and announcements be done with? What, what do you do with them? Well, you announce, right? You announce announcements. You proclaim proclamations. And Paul's saying, we have this message, this proclamation, this good news. And that's what Paul is doing in this sermon. So he knows that the message of salvation has come. And he knows that the way to get it out is to declare it, to proclaim it. And that's what I want to remind you of, really, as we begin. The message of salvation comes in the coming of Jesus. And it's so tied together that we say the message is Jesus. The good news of salvation, the message of salvation, is that Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross in the place of sinners, and rose again. So how, Paul says it's a message of salvation and that it had come. Well, how can he say that? Well, let's keep reading in verse 27 and following. He says, the message has been sent to us. Now, verse 27, for or because those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled those scriptures by concerning him, uh, by condemning him, excuse me. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And then verse 29, and when they had carried out all that was written of him. So how can Paul say the message of salvation has come? Well, because that's what was written about him. He says that's exactly what God said he would do. That he would come. That he would die. That he would be treated as he actually was. And so the coming of Jesus was prophesied. His death was prophesied. And you say, well, how far back do we go for this message of salvation? You go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 3.15. After Adam and Eve fall into sin and God says and promises, there will come one who will crush the head of the serpent. Well, in Jesus Christ, the serpent crusher has come. Amen. 
So, in other words, when he says the message has come, and he can say that because Jesus has fulfilled these scriptures, what God is, is really saying, and, and Paul, he's getting it, he's really saying one of my two, two of my favorite words. If I, can, if I can just be honest for a moment, can I tell you what two words I love to read? Package delivered. <laughs> right? Package delivered. Oh, you guys, right? When we know a package is coming, we obsess over it. And if they give you a map where you can follow the truck, forget it. I'm not getting anything done that day. I don't care how far away the truck is. Five minutes later, I want to know, has it gotten any closer? The resurrection of Jesus, bringing the promises because Christ fulfilled them is God saying, package delivered, message of salvation delivered. It has come. And that's the message I want you to, to hear this morning, that you can be saved. The message of salvation comes to each one of you this morning. Now, you may think you can't be delivered. You might think you're too hopeless. You might think that you'll never be free from that sin. You might think that that lust, that desire, that lifestyle will make it impossible. But Paul says the message of salvation has come and the guarantee of its validity is that it's not guaranteed by a dead man. The message of salvation has come and it was delivered the package was delivered by the man who rose from the dead. So the message comes to you today. It's available to you today. So if the message has come, what's it rooted in? What's the, the foundation? Well, this brings us to the second resurrection truth, and we've kind of hinted at it, but this message is rooted in the resurrection. This message of salvation is rooted in the resurrection. And we see this in verses 30 through 37. Thankfully, Paul doesn't stop at verse 28, right? He doesn't stop at verse 29. We get to verse 30. And some of the, one of the best words in the Bible. But God. They crucified him. They took him down. And they laid him in a tomb. Verse 30. <laughs> but God did something. Paul says God raised him from the dead. The reason Paul doesn't stop at verse 29 is because the story doesn't stop at verse 29. Look at verse 30. He keeps on going. He says, He rose him from the dead, verse 31, and then he appeared to those who had come with him to Jerusalem, and they are now witnesses. So it's not just that Jesus rose from the dead, and then he didn't appear to anybody, and we're all just taking the, the apostles and the disciples' words for it. No, he appeared to many. If you go over to 1 Corinthians 15, it says that, Paul, uh, that Jesus appeared to as many as 500 people. Now, you can say that maybe one disciple was hallucinating. You could say maybe even 12 were hallucinating. But for 500 people to have the exact same hallucination. No, Jesus appeared to those for many days and they are now witnesses to people. 
And so Paul declares without shame that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's what we're celebrating this morning, isn't it? That Jesus is alive. That's our great hope. That God raised him from the dead. Jesus raised himself from the dead. The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. Jesus is alive and that is the soil on which the message of salvation grows. That's the foundation on which it's built. It's, it's validated by the resurrection. Now notice, this it's not just the crucifixion that fulfills scripture. And that really, the resurrection just kind of happened. No, look at verses 32. What does Paul keep saying? He says, and we bring to you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us. How? He fulfilled a promise that he made in the Old Testament. How? By raising Jesus. So not only did he keep his promise that he would send his son and his son would die in the place of sinners, but God promised his son would rise again and he did. Look at the language. Promised. Fulfilled. So if we talk about the message being delivered, what is the guarantee? It's the resurrection. It's the seal of authority. It's the certificate of authenticity. Imagine you've just bought a brand new car. Beautiful. You're in the car dealership and you're signing the paperwork. And they say, here, we want to recommend this to you. This is our dealership warranty. Okay, If you sign this paper, anything that happens to the car, no matter what it is, how it happened, is fully covered. All you have to do is sign this warranty. How many of you would say, sign me up? Some of you don't trust car dealerships. <laughs> but, but after many assurances, they said, we promise you there's absolutely no exceptions. Nothing will not be covered. Maybe you say, all right, you've, you've won me over. Sign me up, right? Then they slide the paperwork across the desk to you. You pick it up and you look at it. This vehicle warranty that you've been convinced to, to pay money for. And then you look at the top of the paper and it says vehicle warrant. What would your response be? What do you think has happened here? I'm asking, what do you think has happened on this document? It's not a trick question. It's a typo. They forgot the why. At the top of the paper that says vehicle warranty. Now, how do you feel about what you're getting ready to buy? If they didn't even pay enough attention to the title to make sure there's not a typo, are you convinced that this warranty will actually be as good as you think it is? No. The same is true with the resurrection and the message of salvation. The promise... That the message of salvation has come is only comforting. It's only solid. It's only as sure as the one who delivers it. And the one who promises to deliver us is the one who rose from the dead. The one who promises to deliver us from death literally rose from the dead. The one who promises us forgiveness. He paid for our sins on the cross. And then buried them 
in the tomb. The one who promises us eternal life, he's the one that came back to life. The one who promises us hope, well, he busted through death like a wrecking ball. The one who says, believe in me, did what everybody else could not believe. The one who was crucified with a sign above his head that said, King of the Jews, he rose again and proved he's not just the King of the Jews, but he's the King of the nations. He's the King of the cosmos. He's the King over death, over hell, over every atom, molecule, planet, star, galaxy, supermassive, black hole, whatever it is, Christ is King over it. The promise of salvation is given by this King. This God, this Savior. So the message of salvation is rooted and ratified in the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no message of salvation. So that's the second truth. The resurrection is the root and foundation of this message. But what, about the th- what does that mean then? The third resurrection truth I want you to see this morning is that this message of salvation is good news. If the message has come and it's authenticated and verified and solidified by the resurrection, then this message is good news. I want you to go back to verse 32 for just one minute. Look at what Paul says. We bring to you the what? The good news. Now, there are two observations I want to make about this. I want to bring to your attention. First, Paul calls it good news. The scriptures call the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what gospel means. Good news. But there's a word play here that that intensifies Paul's statement. He says, we proclaim the good news. We declared it. Saying what God has done in and through Jesus Christ is to gospel. In other words, we think of the gospel as a noun, right? Like we preach the gospel. We talk about the gospel. What Paul says is we gospeled the gospel. We good newsed the good news. It's such good news that Paul uses the same word for a verb and an object. We gospeled the gospel. That's how good news it is. I know you know this, but our world desperately needs good news. Maybe you're here this morning and you need good news. Paul says that the good news is found in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in fulfillment of the scriptures. Now, you might say, yes, yes, of course, the gospel is good news, right? We know all that. Can we get to the next point? Well, hold on a minute. Let's slow down because I want to bring something to your attention. And this brings us to the second observation. How is the message of salvation good news? We know that it is good news, but how is it good news? Well, first of all, remember, it's a message. It's declared. It's heralded. It's news because it's announced to us. It's something that's announced because it was done for us. The gospel is good news, not of what you must do. It's the good news of what Christ has done. So it's a message about the perfect life, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Think of it this way. The gospel 
is the mechanic rundown when you get your car fixed. You, you notice something wrong with your car, you take it into the mechanic, you can't figure out what it is. They work on it, they diagnose it, they tell you what the problem is, right? You've got this that's not working, this fluid's leaking, you know, you, your brakes aren't there, all those sorts of things, right? And then they fix it, and then they come and tell you, all right, sir, here's what we did. We did this, we did that, we did this, right? They diagnose the problem, and they fix the problem. And you know what you do? You sit in the waiting room, or maybe you go home. The gospel is a good news, a message that is declared that Christ has done something for you. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. You cannot be good enough. You cannot stop yourself from sinning. You cannot make yourself righteous. To think that you can is like the mechanic saying, here's the problem, here's how we fixed it, and then your response is, well, yeah, I put gas in it, though. (laughs) The good news of the gospel is good news precisely because we have no part in the goodness of the good news. It's all what Christ has done. So it's not just a declaration of what Jesus did, but it's a declaration of what he accomplished. What is it? The message of what? Salvation. Jesus did all that was necessary for us to be saved. That's why the gospel is good news. It's good news because Christ speaks to every sinner in this room and says, I have done everything for you to be saved. Is that not good news? Is that not the best news we could ever possibly hope to hear? So Jesus, this salvation, this message is good news. And what makes it good news is because it's through Christ. And that leads us to the fourth and final resurrection point. Remember, we've been trying to to find out what the impact and the meaning and the significance of the resurrection is. Well, here it is. In Jesus, you are forgiven and freed. In Jesus, I am forgiven and freed. Look at verse 38. Well, let's read the rest, okay? Verse 33, He fulfilled us uh, to us, their children, by raising Jesus from the dead, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that He raised Him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, He has spoken this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Jesus fulfills the promise through His resurrection. Then in verse 35, therefore he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. How could he say that? For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. He died and was laid with the fathers and saw corruption. His body decayed. But the one whom God raised up did not see corruption. So Paul has gotten to this point where it's culminating and saying everything is fulfilled in Christ. Why does that matter? Well, here's the application. Verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore. That therefore indicates that here is what we are to do with everything that Paul has said. Therefore, 
It's the so what. He says, let it be known. And he really says two things. There are two things that Paul wants to be known. First of all, notice what he says. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. There's the forgiveness. And then look at the second part. Let it be known also that by him, that's Jesus again, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. In Christ, in Jesus, you are forgiven and freed. Why does the resurrection matter? What is the impact for each one of us here who are believers? Because... It's only through his death and resurrection that you are actually forgiven and freed. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, the offer of forgiveness is made to each one of us. The gospel announces the forgiveness of our sins. What does he say? Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The good news is that there is forgiveness of sins. The bad news is that there is sin. The good news we've talked about, but what is the bad news? Well, the bad news is that we're sinners. The bad news is that we have rebellious hearts, rebellious minds, rebellious wills. We disobey what God commands. If God says go left, we go right. If God says do, we don't. If he says don't, we do. Our hearts are so deceitful and dishonest. Our wills are so hell-bent on going our own way. But it's even deeper than that because not only do we do those things, but we love doing those things. It's not just that before Christ that we, we knew what was wrong and, and we felt bad about it, but, but there were many things that we were doing. We, we were living not just decisions, but, but lifestyles and, and habits and, and desires that we kept feeding and kept gratifying. And we loved it. We were pleased with it all the while. The displeasure of God rested on us for our sin. And so what unites every single one of us in this room right now is not that we have all disobeyed just once. But it's that we have all at many points disobeyed our creator. And the Bible calls that sin. And that sin deserves judgment. It deserves wrath and condemnation. Our sin deserves death and hell. Our sin cannot go unpunished. For God would then not be holy and perfect. So sin. Now don't miss this. It's not just sin in general. Some abstract theory that that sin out there that's not the only thing that condemns you what condemns you is the sin in your own heart and we all have it so if that's the bad news what hope is there if we have sinned and that sin deserves death and what we deserve is hell and death then what hope is there for us Again, that's why the gospel is called good news. Because here's where it gets so good. 
What are the two things that Paul has said repeatedly in these two verses? It's what? Through Christ. Our only hope is through Christ. And notice how Paul describes it. It's so beautiful. Verse 39. And by him, listen to these words. Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Not everyone who cleans up their life and tries to do better. Not everyone who feels bad about the things they might have done wrong. The way that we take that good news that is offered to us and bring it into our souls and appropriate it for ourselves, you believe that Christ is who He says He is, did what He said He would do, and that that is your only hope. The reason the gospel is good news is because Jesus has done everything and he offers that to you through believing. That's it. That's the gospel. You know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever what believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So in short, what Paul is saying is that Jesus accomplishes that which we could not do and that which the law of Moses could not do. Look at what he says. You are forgiven and freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And so by the work of Christ, you are set free from the curse of the law. You say, what is the curse of the law? Well, the curse of the law is... Well, think about the Ten Commandments. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. And what do we do? We go and commit idolatry every day. It says, you shall not uh, bear false witness against your neighbor. And what do we do? We go and speak untruth about our neighbor every day. So the law of Moses brings a curse on us. It cannot save us. And Paul says in Galatians 3, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. But then in verse 13, Christ says, or Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse from a, for us. And so again, in Jesus, the message of salvation has come that promises that you can be forgiven of your sin and freed from the curse of the law. The flip side of that, of being forgiven and freed from the curse, now you experience fellowship, relationship with your Creator. You now know a joy that cannot be touched by this world. You have a hope that has overcome every single obstacle put in its place. Sometimes we might think that when Jesus was in Jerusalem, and he was being arrested, and and he was being crucified, that somehow Satan and and, and all his helpers, they put in the D-team to accomplish this. No, understand that the world, Satan, all of them, threw everything they had at Jesus to stop him, so much so that they even killed him. And it still wasn't enough. 
That's what is yours when you believe. But here's the greatest thing you get. And this is what I want you to leave with. The greatest thing you get out of the gospel, the good news is not just the forgiveness of sins, although that is wonderful. And it's not just freedom from the curse of the law. That is wonderful as well. Do you want to know why the gospel is such good news? Because when you believe, do you know what you get? You get Christ. You get Christ. You get Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. You did not have Christ. You did not know him. He was as far from you as could possibly be. But now, because He loves you, and because of what He did, He forgives you, He raises you, and now you get Him. There is nothing better that you get from a risen Jesus who gives Himself to you and makes that possible by forgiving you and freeing you. So these are four resurrection truths I hope you remember. But most of all, I hope you remember the resurrection matters because without it, we would have no hope. The message would not be worth believing and we would not have Christ. Maybe we need to view the resurrection in the terms of that is what gets us Christ. If he had not risen, he could not be known. If he had not risen, he could not be loved. If he had not risen, he could not show us unfailing love. And so the resurrection of Jesus, you talk about what's the impact. The resurrection of Jesus is the assurance of our forgiveness and our freedom. The forgiveness and the freedom that we hope for is ours. So do you feel enslaved to sin? Do you feel hopeless? Do you feel like all is lost? Look to Christ. Maybe you're afraid of dying. In Hebrews 2, the writer says that Jesus came so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Maybe you've been a slave to a fear of death. You're afraid. Understand that Jesus has conquered death. Believer, understand that it's not just that when you trust Christ, it's not just that you can be forgiven, you are forgiven. You are free. That is what you are. Death has been conquered and put to shame. I love the quote of the poet John Donne. He says, Death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkst thou dost overthrow, they do not die, poor death, nor can you kill me. And at the end he says, There will come a day 
where death shall be no more, death thou shalt die. If that is the hope that we have, that not even death can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. My prayer is that you'll leave here with a greater assurance and a greater appreciation for what the gospel has done for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You've never acknowledged that you have done wrong. You've heard about it. You know the facts. But you've never thought that's what I need. And maybe you feel that nudge this morning that what I need is is not self-improvement. What I need is not some 12-step program. What I need is to grasp that which Jesus offers me, the forgiveness and the freedom. I want you to know the way that you reach out and grab that is by believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus. Today can be the day. Don't delay. Be forgiven. Be freed. Be made right with God. Turn away from your sins and look to Christ for forgiveness of your sins and for freedom. For all of us, the invitation is to rest in the perfect work of a risen Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Lord, for the resurrection of Jesus that God, the implications and the impact of it cannot be stated in in 30 or 45 minutes. They cannot be stated fully. God, our great hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Lord, what we need more than anything as believers is a renewed appreciation and assurance from the resurrection. God, help us to rejoice that we're forgiven of our sins and freed from the curse. But most importantly, God, that we get the gracious and merciful privilege to know your son. Thank you, Jesus, that the message of salvation comes and that it can be believed, it can be believed unto salvation, unto eternal life because of your death, burial, and resurrection. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.